Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Joining us now is Michael Dowling, who is one of healthcare's most influential voices. Not only is he the, the, the guy who leads Northwell Health, which is one of the largest, if not the largest, private employer in the healthcare space in New York, with a vast network of more than 890 outpatient facilities, including Northern Westchester Hospital, Phelps Memorial Hospital, and Lenox Hill Hospital. It has a workforce of over 82,000 people, annual revenue of over $16 billion. But in addition to this, Mr. Dowling has spoken out about gun violence and gun control, and he's taken a passionate public policy stance on some of the biggest issues of our day. Michael Dowling, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. I'm so happy to have you on. Well, thank you so much. I'm privileged, and thank you for the opportunity. Great to be with you. Can I just tell you the most exciting thing in your bio to me was that you were once the Grand Marshal of the St. Patrick's Day Parade? Uh, yes, I, I remember that very well. It was um, this wonderful opportunity to walk up Fifth Avenue. Um, you know, you kind of have to pinch yourself uh, thinking that you were asked to do this. Uh, it was a wonderful day. Uh, my family came over from Ireland, uh, and um, uh, you walk up behind the 69th Regiment, which was a famous um, uh, uh, group of um, military that uh, were involved uh, you know, in, in the Civil War, and they march up in front of you. Wow. And then, you know, there's you, you you drive up and down Fifth Avenue on a regular basis, but when you walk up Fifth Avenue in front of a massive parade on St. Patrick's Day, it's an exceptional experience. So I was very, very, very fortunate indeed. It's unbelievable. I've only seen it from the sidelines, but I, I've been to many of the parades, and uh, it's just incredible. Now, I understand, were you, were you raised in Limerick, Ireland? Were you born in Ireland? I was I was born in Ireland. I was born in Limerick on the west on the western part of the county in a rural farming area. And I grew up in an old thatched cottage that uh, had mud floors, mud walls and a thatched roof. And really? We didn't have electricity or running water or bathrooms or Come anything on. in those days. Really? Yeah. Just like The Quiet Man with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara, one of my favorite movies, one of my top. Oh, five. absolutely. And uh, I've been to the place where The Quiet Man was filmed. In Innisfree? Oh. Uh, yeah, it's up in I've been to Ashford Castle. Wow. Uh, and uh, 
uh, when you go to Ashford Castle and you go to the local little village, it's called Kong, C-O-N-G. Mm-hmm. On the square in the middle of the village is a major statue of Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne. Oh, how wonderful. And uh, it's, um, it takes you back. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful, wonderful place, a great place to visit. A uh, wonderful little town and a phenomenal castle. Part of the castle nearby was built by the Normans in the 12th century. Unbelievable. And you grew up in, in a thatch cottage without running water or electricity, really? Uh, yes. We, uh, uh, I, was the, I was the oldest of a family of five. Mm. Uh, my father was a local laborer who became quite ill with arthritis at a young age. And then my mother was... I uh, was totally deaf. A wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. And um, I, I always dreamed of going to college, so I left home at, when I was 16, and I went to England um, to, ha- to make money. I worked in a steel factory south of London in a place called Crawley. And I uh, helped, uh, was able to make some money, you know, modest, of course, but it helped out at home. And uh, I, was, I dreamed of going to college. And that was what I wanted to do. I came to the United States when I was a little shy of 18. And I worked on the docks in the west side of Manhattan. And then I worked in construction in Manhattan. I worked as a plumber. I worked up in, um, in the Bronx, Yonkers, uh, with a plumbing company putting in sinks and bathrooms, etc. So, And I worked uh, cleaning out local bars in Queens and Astoria. And all of it was very good. It was all positive. I loved every minute of it. I was able to make a little bit of money, send money home, and I was able to put money aside so I could pay my way to school. It's the old immigrant experience. It's what an awful lot of people have done and what millions of people have done over the years. And so, uh, and all my family, they're all still back in Ireland. I'm still the only one in the United States. I tell you the truth, Michael Dowling, your life is a movie. Your life is a movie. Well, you know, I've, I've been fortunate, um, and I feel consider myself very lucky. If I hadn't come to the United States, who knows? I mean, the United States uh, provided the opportunity, as the, my most famous book about New York's immigration and New York City's immigration is, is entitled City of Dreams. Mm. And that is still true. Uh, you know, people come here because they're looking for a better life for themselves and their families. And uh, this is why I've been pretty outspoken about on the immigration issue, that we should, uh, we're all immigrants, all of us have come here from someplace at some point. We've all contributed to improving our own situations, but also contributed to improving the United States. And um, uh, we should understand history a little bit and promote uh, you know, immigration. Obviously, we have to obviously make changes for what's going on at the border, et cetera, et cetera. But that should not take away from the importance of immigration as a major catalyst in making the United States what it is today. Yeah, no question about it. If we don't have the people coming in like you with big dreams from different circumstances, then we never have the next generation of you. We never have the next generation of people who really build this country. And remember, every every immigrant is an optimist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, they're all optimists. You leave one place to go to another place on the assumption and the belief that things are going to be better. That's an optimistic view of life. I know. It's like the people who went on the wagon trains west um, from the east to the west. Uh, you know, 150 years ago, 
those were all optimists. Yes. They were going west, believing that something was better at the other end of the of the roadway and the journey. So um, it's an important ingredient of our history, and I, I, I consider myself very fortunate and very lucky. And hard work, I never killed anybody. Um, I'm a big believer that you, you appreciate things a lot more when you have to work for them. Yeah, no, for sure. We're chatting with Michael Dowling, who is the CEO of Northwell Health and one of the country's most influential voices in healthcare. Now, so, so Michael Dowling, may I call you Michael? Well, you're going to call me sure. Lisa, right? Call okay. me Mike, Michael, Thank you, Michael. You know, whatever. Yeah, sure. So, Michael, you're head of a major healthcare institution, but I'm looking through your extraordinarily impressive bio, but you're not an MD, correct? You're not a no, doctor. No, I'm not an MD. Um, I, my, I've, I have an undergraduate degree. I have a graduate degree in social welfare from Fordham University. I went to, I went to Columbia to get a doctorate. I never actually completed it because just as I was about to hand in my dissertation, I get a call from um, the office of Mario Cuomo after we got elected governor and interviewed me and, and gave me an opportunity to work in state government. And I took the job, and then I decided that I'll finish my dissertation next weekend. Wow. And and now that was uh, many years ago, and I never actually really finished it. But I did all my (laughs) coursework, passed all my exams, but I never turned in my dissertation. But in answer to your question, I'm not an MD, but I've been involved in the healthcare space a long, long time. So so let's talk about it, because so many people believe that our healthcare – system is so uh, broken in so many ways. So, Michael Dowling, what is your vision? What, and I know you've spent a lot of time thinking and talking about vision. What is your vision of, of what should be the relationship between the consumer, the patient, and their health care providers today? Well, in my mind, it's one of the central uh, philosophies of Northwell. We're, in my view, we're in the consumer business. We are here to, to do well by the consumer, which to me is the patient, mm-hmm. the patient's family, and the patient's friends and relatives. And how we treat people is important. How we respond to what they want and need is important. How we provide access, how we provide convenience and positive service is unbelievably important. Now, obviously, we have to provide good clinical care, uh, but this is a, a continuing work in progress. And I think while the United States, uh, the health system, obviously needs adjustments and needs changes here and there, compared to other countries, and I've been quite familiar with most other countries because I have participated in doing work in some of them, I think that we are very fortunate in the U.S. to have a pretty good health care system. Uh, the people who criticize it, you know, continuously and who always talk about these uh, alternatives in England and in Ireland, for example, uh, they really don't know those systems. Those systems don't work that well. It works a lot better here. So if I need care, I want to be in the U.S. Now, that does not mean we don't have issues we need to resolve. We have to improve access. We have to serve people in the, in, in the poorer communities better than we do. Uh, We have to be much more involved in promoting wellness and prevention and dealing with what people call all of the social determinants of health. But every every entity, every organization, everybody uh, that is involved in any organization who's honest will argue that their organizations continually need improvement. So does the healthcare system. 
but I think fundamentally we do great work here. And I think we should be proud of it, try to improve it, uh, but uh, understand the benefits that we have here compared with what people have in many, many other parts of the world. We're chatting with Michael Dowling. Michael, I've got some questions, 203-333-9422, if you who are listening have a question. But I had a bunch of listeners sort of queue up with questions that they emailed me before. And right. what one of the questions that I have from you is this. Has vaccine hesitancy bled through to people's unwillingness to take other medications or necessary treatments? Well, I, I would hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, the, the vaccines work. Uh, the COVID vaccine worked. Um, uh, and unfortunately, we, over the last couple of years, we have been inundated with a lot of misinformation, a lot of stuff that is not correct. Um, vaccines are not perfect all the time. It doesn't mean you won't necessarily get COVID. Uh, some people still get it, and many people today are getting COVID, but they're not that sick. Um, I got COVID a couple of months back. I was sick, uh, felt bad for about two days, but I wasn't in the hospital. And I remember way back in 2020, before when the COVID really started, when we had almost 4,000 people in our hospitals, many of them being intubated. Uh, but once the vaccine came out uh, two years ago now, um, things began to dramatically improve. And we do have anti-vaxxers. We have a lot of people out there who say, I'm not taking vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. I think they're misinformed. I think it's inappropriate. Um, you know, I respect their opinions, but I think they're making a, a dire mistake. Um, vaccines work, and that has been proven over the course of history in the last 50, 60 years. Uh, so um, I would hope that people would um, uh, not, uh, not continue to, uh, produce and um, promote continuous misinformation about them. I did see, we're chatting with Michael Dowling, CEO of Northwell, I did see that, uh, and I thought this was an underreported story, frankly, that the monoclonal antibodies developed by Regeneron do not work against the latest variants of COVID and that there is definitely concern in the medical establishment, which basically goes to your point of why yeah. we need to have people take vaccines, that if you're going to yeah, get seriously and, yeah, ill, and, you know, and, we don't and have some, treatments. some treatments come out sometimes that don't work always perfectly, but, but overall, vaccines work, as we've demonstrated with many other diseases over the years, and we see the results of it. I mean, uh, um, uh, can you imagine where we would be today if we had not come out with a vaccine for COVID and were not able to continue to do the testing and, and we were the first in the United States, by the way, to give the vaccine to a patient. Two years ago, January 14, 2020, we gave the first vaccine in the United States. And, and same, once that happened, uh, we see a drastic reduction in the degree of the severity of illness. Yep. doesn't mean that everybody is 100% right. cured, but for the vast majority of people, it's very, very, very positive. Uh, Michael Dowling, Tierney from New York asks, how is medicine and the patients you treat impacted by genomic and personalized medicine, i.e. identifying a gene and modifying it? Well, that's the, the whole arena of personalized medicine and the research that is being done on this, uh, I think, uh, continues. Um, we continue to show progress. I mean, we're doing an awful lot of research on 
and the genomic issue at the moment. And um, I think over time, uh, I'm not a physician, so in many ways, some of these, they know the real clinical questions have to be asked to a physician and a researcher who's doing this work. Um, but we can see dramatic, we will continue to see dramatic progress based upon the research and the new discoveries that are coming out now and will continue to come out just like we have in the past. I remind everybody that if you went back to the 1970s and you had a heart condition, there was not much we could do for you. Hmm. But based upon research and new discovery, today we can put a stent in, you come in to get a stent and you go home. We can replace your heart. Uh, we have dramatically reduced the incidence of death resulting from cardiac issues. That's all resulting from research done by clinical experts and the discoveries that emanate from it. And there has been phenomenal progress over the years, and that progress will continue as we uh, continue to investigate um, uh, the, the, the more in the genomics arena, the more about personalized medicine. Uh, uh, all of that is positive things that we're involved in, as well as all of the other research centers and the other in the other health systems. So I wanted to ask you that, Michael Dowling. What do you yes. think your responsibility is as a leader of a healthcare organization that is seeing patients? How do you, when you look at your $16.5 billion of revenue, what responsibility do you think you have, if any, to take some of that money and put it into pure research with the idea that, you know, it may not come to something that a patient can use today, tomorrow, or ever, or right. maybe in 10 years? What do you think oh, about I, that? I, you know, research is key. Uh, you, you have to be discovering new information all the time. You have to be discovering new treatments, new therapies. And we have a major research in, entity inside Northwell. It's called the Feinstein Institute for Medical Research. We have an, a, a few thousand researchers working for us on a continuing basis. We invest hundreds of millions of dollars a year on research. Um, it's very, 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 very important. And we actually, are the, uh, our researchers at Northwell are, are the founders of a new field of medicine called bioelectronic medicine, uh, where we put impl implantable devices on the, ner on the vagus nerve, really? which, are, which in fact can modify the immune system to actually uh, ameliorate a lot of diseases that we suffer from without necessarily having to take medication. That's a whole new area of discovery. So if you're a big system like ours uh, and other, like other big systems in the New York region, we're very fortunate in New York that we have a major, major investment in research. It's, it's fundamentally important. That's how the progress that we talk about, uh, that we've been able to demonstrate over the years, it's all the result of research. Uh, and, of course, discovery, sometimes it's not a straight line. You can be working on something and it doesn't work perfectly, and you've got to switch tactics, and you've got to go in another direction. That's what discovery is all about. That's what research is all, all about, is finding new ways to get better answers to solve problems with the human condition. And uh, we, have a big, we have major investments in it, and we will continue to do so. so Michael Dowling, can you stay with us? We're here on live radio. I've got to take a quick commercial break and sure, be right back. Sure. Thank you so much. We're chatting no with Michael Dowling, the CEO of Northwell Health. We'll be right back. We're chatting with Michael Dowling, who's the CEO of Northwell Health, one of the largest healthcare systems in New York. And 
just an extraordinary network, including Northern Westchester Hospital, Lenox Hill Hospital, Phelps Memorial, and we've had doctors on from all of these institutions. Uh, Michael, I got to ask you a question because, you know, I come from a different... I'm not sure how old you are compared to me. I'm in my early 60s, but I come from a generation where people really wanted to be doctors when they grew up, and it was a very prestigious. Uh, <clears throat> it was a very prestigious profession. It was also felt to be a beautiful entree into an upper middle class life. And I'd like to know, given how, given the fact that so many hospital systems have gobbled up private practices, given the huge administrative burdens of being a practitioner altogether with more and more people being hospitalists than ever, and given the enormity of how expensive it is for someone to become a doctor to begin with, what is your view? How are we going to incentivize our best and brightest to become doctors, or are we not going to do that anymore? We're just going to have to make it for people that consider it some kind of a calling and are willing to sacrifice a lot of economic prosperity. What are we going to do? Well, I think uh, it's not as all dire as some people would uh, would project. I mean, we have our own medical school, and um, if you look at, at you know applications to medical schools over the last number of years, they're up. We get uh, six, seven hundred applications to our medical school every year. For about a hundred, we have about a hundred slots. We pick a hundred people. So I still believe that there are an awful lot of great people out there wanting to be physicians. Um, We have to be obviously um, attracting physicians from all walks of life, not just only from the, uh, you know, the the affluent communities, but also more diversity uh, in our physician, in our application caseload. Um, You know, over 50% of our uh, doctors now in our medical school are female. That's a huge change. So I think there's an awful lot of interest in people wanting to become physicians. Um, the, the, the overall nature of the business has changed. Private practice is not as prevalent where the doctor, you know, graduates, set up his own practice, puts up his own shingle and works as a private entity. That world has been disappearing for many, many, many decades. Um, and that's because of the nature of the overall business. It's very, very, very complicated. Uh, you know, the, working in a large group, you're able to share information, you're able to share responsibilities, etc. So we get, we get inundated every year for people who are still in private practice wanting to come in to be part of Northwell, and that is true with other health systems as well. So like everything else in life, it has been a, a changing, and I think in many ways many of the changes are for the good. Now, um, what I will say, however, is that we have to we have to address something that is very important. We sometimes, and this is because of the requirements by insurance companies and the requirements by government, we sometimes put doctors and nurses uh, under an awful lot of regulatory requirement. Uh, we inundate them with documentation requirements and mm, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. An awful lot of it, which has got very little to do with the quality of health care. Mm-hmm. And if I make your life continuously burdensome and I, I load on top of you a lot of things that take you away from dealing directly with the patient, that leads to extraordinary frustration. And that's occurring. That we have to deal with. If you're a nurse, and you have to spend like 50% of your time documenting stuff. I know, I see it all the time. Instead of dealing with the actual patient, it's I a problem. See, it's true. And it's the same with physicians. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're busy typing the notes onto their iPad. We, we yeah. had a physician that we 
didn't see anymore as an internist because we felt he never made eye contact with us. And my husband yeah, and I were like, that's not yeah, going to be our doctor. Yeah, so that whole regulatory, when I'm, I'm not against regulation, we got to make sure we have the right things in place to make sure we get the proper outcomes, but we should dispense with and get rid of all of the other garbage that we require of people that do not necessarily, do not necessarily lead to a better improved outcome for the patient. That's something we're talking about, something we're discussing, something we're going to have to take a major role in, 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 in uh, advocating for. Uh, that's a real issue. But despite all of that, we still have, uh, you know, you know um, applications for medical school, nursing schools. We have our own nursing schools as well. We have our own graduate nursing school, an undergraduate nursing school, and a doctor nursing school, and the applications are up. So there's a lot of people wanting to come in. We just got to make that work life easier for them so that they can serve the patients better. And that is obviously one of our priority agendas these days. Well, a lot of medicine, and I know this because I have a lot of people in my family that are doctors, a lot sure. of it has become CYA because they want to avoid a lawsuit or because, you know, the, the administration is all about trying to cover themselves in case somebody makes a human error and gets sued. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the practice issue is important, yes. the administrative overburden issues are important. These are all, these all have to be fixed and, and improved. I completely agree there, and I, I'm very sensitive to doctors' needs on this. I, I applaud them for what they do. I work with them each and every day. I just came out of a meeting with a group of physicians a few minutes ago. They do fabulous work. We just got to allow them to do the right kind of work so that we can get the best outcomes without without overburdening them with unnecessary garbage, as I said, that is irrelevant to the outcome that they're trying to pursue. Michael Dowling, CEO of Northwell, one more question for you. I see that yeah. you have been outspoken on the issue of gun control. Yes. I, I know that uh, Michael Bloomberg founded Every Town for Gun Safety, right. and when he was mayor, he considered gun violence a public health problem. Right. Do you also consider gun violence a public health problem? Uh, well, I've been very, very public on this. I've been really public about four years ago on this and uh, took a full page ad out in the New York Times. And uh, uh, Gun violence is a public health issue. It's not just only the trauma and the injury to the individual who shot, but it's the trauma and injury to the family, to the neighborhood, to the extended family. And the statistic that is extraordinary that I don't think everybody fully recognizes, even though we're now publicizing it more. Um, gun violence is the leading cause of death among children and adolescents today. The second leading cause of death is automobile accidents, and the third leading cause of death is, ca is cancer. But the number one leading cause of death is from guns. That's an atrocious statistic. Oh, and in our children's oh. hospital, we've had more people come in this year as resulting from gunshot injuries, mm. and many of them that didn't make it, uh, we've had more people this year than we've had in the past five years cumulatively. This is something that has to change. We're, in the, we're taking a major position on gun violence prevention and safety, and I just created, uh, initiate, initiated a national CEO council on gun violence prevention, and about 50 CEOs of the big health systems around the country have joined in this council to continue to educate people and enhance awareness about safety and prevention. And we have ads on television right now on this as well. So it is a public health issue, as the United States should not be known 
for injury and death resulting from guns. That's not how we should be known and have, be, have a distinctive reputation for. We're better than this. Uh, we can be better than this. And we're not, I'm not challenging the issue of gun ownership, uh, but I'm really focusing on prevention and safety. And uh, I completely agree. We work with Michael Bloomberg's organization. I work with Gabby Gifford's organization. Um, we hold national forums on gun violence every year. We're going to have another one at the end of February next uh, in 23. Uh, and um, we're going to continue to focus on it. It is the responsibility of healthcare organizations to address the issue that is the leading cause of death among kids. Okay. Michael Dowling, thank you so much for giving us your time today, your expertise. I'm I'm always going to remember your story of growing up in Limerick, Ireland, in a thatched roof house without running water or electricity. It's, uh, it's well, quite something in how you have made your way working on the docks and everything else to well, becoming the well, leader of such a big deal healthcare system in New York. You're, you're a remarkable human being. You speak to the power of the individual. Well, you know, poverty, poverty motivates, and it strengthens you. I look back at my youth, and I think, um, I mean, as I said, I was very, very fortunate but um, you're impacted by how you grow up, and uh, I, um, you know, I don't think many people relate to it these days as much as I think they should, but uh, I consider myself quite fortunate. I've been very fortunate to work with great people, great staff. It's a team approach. Nobody succeeds completely by themselves, and I thank everybody that helped me along the way and opened up doors for me. And uh, that's what I be, that's what I try to do for others. You know, open up a door, you give the people opportunity, and uh, uh, inspire them to take advantage of it. What a pleasure to get to know you, Michael Dowling, the CEO of Thank Northwell you. Health Systems, on the Lisa Wexler yeah. Show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.